The Evolve Pod is hosted and produced by TriswimCoaching.com, the home of expert swimming, open water and triathlon coaching for all abilities in Oxfordshire. If you're interested in getting involved in multi-sport, please visit TriswimCoaching.com and get yourself set up for a free consultation with me to see how we can help your triathlon performance. We're also supported by Notepad. Notepad are a kick-ass Birmingham-based branding agency who formulate crystal clear strategy alongside jaw-dropping design to make your brand truly unbeatable. You can check them out via their website at notepadstudio.com. Lastly, as a little benefit for the listener, I've teamed up with The Fell Store, an independent business created in lockdown to inspire more people to enjoy the mental and physical benefits of nature and the outdoors. They provide tasty, lightweight, dehydrated and freeze-dried meals ideal for any outdoor adventure. You can use the promo code EVOLVE15 on checkout to get 15% off all meals. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Evolve Pod and thank you very much for tuning in. Genuinely really appreciate it. This week I'm bringing you adventurer, kayaker, motivational speaker and much more, Darren Edwards. Back in 2016, Darren was involved in a climbing accident which resulted in life-changing injuries. On the podcast we talk about adventure, what adventure means to Darren, both before the accident and after the accident. We listen to how Darren has grown, has rebuilt himself and used the phrase post-traumatic growth in order to make himself into the man he is today. Darren's undertaken some extreme challenges, some of which are kind of unbelievable to really contemplate given the injuries that he suffered, but it's such an inspirational story to listen to. I really, really appreciated listening to Darren and being able to ask him some of the questions that you will hear on the podcast. So why don't you take a coffee, listen, learn and grow. As ever, any reviews, shares and likes of the podcast, please don't hesitate to share the episodes with your friends and family and colleagues as you never know who it might help. Also, any iTunes reviews would be really, really handy for us because it just does help share the content to people far and wide. But in the meantime, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Evolve Pod. I'm joined today with Darren, Darren Edwards. Uh, Darren is a, a really cool, inspiring guy. He's uh, into his adventure and I've been really looking forward to having this chat for a few weeks now. Darren, how are you doing, buddy? Yeah, really good, really good, mate. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I do really appreciate it. I'm a listener of the podcast, so it's a, a treat to be able to be on it as well as oh. to listen to it. Oh, mate, thanks very much. It's, um, it, you know, this podcast was all set up to inspire people to help people um and i think your story is one of those super powerful stories that will definitely do that it kind of you know it does tick all the boxes of, of something that people can kind of hear about and learn from um before we get kind of stuck into that it's a beautiful day it's you know the summer's coming the good weather is finally here you know life's pretty good and i just wanted to kind of reinforce that because there's some things within your story that are you know pretty tough times and pretty tough things that you've managed to sort of navigate through um you're obviously coming out the other side and you're in this position to, to be able to share your your story and your journey which i'm like clearly really appreciative of so thank you very much for your time and, and thanks for coming on um so adventure 
let's get into the adventure side of things. Like as soon as, for the benefit of the listener, as soon as I mention the word adventure, you can see Darren's face kind of light up a little bit and a little smile comes on his face. What does, what does adventure mean to you? And how did you kind of get into the, the sort of the adventure world? I think for me, adventure means in, in some ways everything. So, you know, from the moment my, even before, so, so I, I see myself as, Darren 1.0 and I'm now on Darren 2.0 and the kind of difference was the was you know the life-changing injury that we'll, we'll come on to talking about and both versions of me the 1.0 and this and this kind of upgrade we'll call it um, <laughs> regardless of disability adventure meant everything to the guy I used to be so adventure was very much at the heart of you know the, the kind of you talk about the why what is your why for me adventure just ticks every single box in terms of leading a fulfilled happy life um and everything was done to kind of almost increase adventure time and to take on challenges and then when life took a bit of a unexpected turn and when life took a bit of a uh, a new direction that was somewhat unknown scary intimidating at times and overwhelming at times adventure became this kind of like beacon of hope and this kind of target destination to get back to and I think I knew that once I got back there in some ways I'd, I'd already overcome what would be or what's what's called a life-changing injury and I think there's a caveat there because it's a life-changing injury if you let it become one don't get me wrong you know we'll, we'll talk about my accident we'll talk about what physically happened and, and the physical limitations that I might have to live with now but I think the biggest tragedy in any circumstance like that is letting it be an end to the person that you are fundamentally in your heart you know and and that person for me was an adventure seeker an adventure lover someone who came alive like you say even the word adventure you kind of brings the smile to the mouth but you're the same as I am and probably every listener of this podcast is um so for me adventure like I said right at the start of this answer means everything and this kind of journey post injury getting back to that place was the was the primary goal and I think you know I just knew there came a day where I just was sat outside one day I think I was on a kayak sun was shining and it might have been you know about a year after life completely changed and I just had this kind of real sweet moment that I'd kind of got back to the guy that I used to be even though life had changed in so many different ways that's really cool. So I wanted to kind of, um, one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, so a lot of people, and again, a lot of listeners to this podcast, uh, you know, myself included, will use, you know, things that we all find adventurous as a way to kind of manage stress, uh, manage lifestyle things, et cetera, mm-hmm. and kind of keep us on a, a nice, even balance. Not not all of us have the facility to, to take up adventure all the time yeah. um, and so it can be that kind of outlet to kind of to reconnect or, or rebalance or recalibrate you know whatever you want to call it did you ever use like pre-accident did you ever use your sort of climbing or your adventurous kind of nature to use as a balance or was it just purely getting out there and challenging yourself I think it was a mixture of the two to be honest um, I never really had much I kind of knew some of the things I wanted to achieve so so we'll come on to that in a mountaineering sense and, and with a military sense but I think a lot of the time I was never quite sure of my direction in life but the one thing that I knew that I had a genuine love for and a genuine want to do more of 
was was exactly that was to be adventurous so I think it was a way of processing kind of and trying to make my mind up as to where I wanted to go in life what was important to me what what fundamentally were the kind of things and non-negotiables that I wanted my life to to have in it um post you know I think we talk about post accident but adventure became a, a real way of of kind of dealing with that trauma you know we talk about post-traumatic stress but you've also got post-traumatic growth and I think reconnecting with nature being out being adventurous is that kind of thinking space and, and I used to do it when I when I would climb you know whether it was climbing a cliff or climbing a mountain you've got ample time to mull over you know life's decisions life's big decisions relationship problems career kind of considerations whatever it might be and nothing's changed that I still do that now but I think adventure then took on this additional meaning because it was a way of processing the processing the physical trauma as well as the the emotional trauma um and I think once you get out and you get a bit of headspace you know you're breathing in that kind of like crisp mountain air you know I'm up near Snowdonia so I'm kind of very lucky in that sense but even if it's you know just taking the dog for a walk on a local field you know wheeling over that that's that kind of headspace as well isn't it it's that kind of time to deal with things like emotionally process things um and for me I think the big the big thing that I did do that there's a temptation to not do when you when anything goes drastically one uh, uh, array in life um, is to try and bottle things up and to not kind of process that emotionally, not talk about it, not think about it. And for me, you know, my climbing accident and and everything that happened that day and being completely conscious the whole day and, and remembering it very vividly, there was a huge temptation to try and kind of put that in a box and shove that away right into the, you know, the recesses of my mind and to never think about it. But that's a, a one-way ticket for having a a breakdown some point in the future because if you're not dealing with the the trauma you're just trying to you're just trying to mask it and it will come back one day so for me I think adventure was that kind of genuine time to put aside and to think and to kind of process the 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 events of that day to process the events of every day that followed that um and I think I, I would not hands down wouldn't have dealt with my injury the way I have if we took the outdoors and adventure away from the equation so if if I'd kind of not got back to doing that I think we wouldn't be sat having this podcast because I'd be living a a lesser less fulfilled and a more emotionally scarred life than I than I am that was going to be my next question is in where if you had a bottled everything up and put the accident in a box and locked it away where, where do you think you'd be now? But I think you answered that already. Yeah. <laughs> so, sort of scarred and probably... At the same time, when you're, you know, so when you're going through your rehabilitation process, yeah. you kind of go through surgery, intensive care. We'll come on to this in a bit more detail, but there's a hospital psychologist. You know, you're there for five months. And I remember her coming up to me one day and saying, how are you dealing with the emotional sort of, you know, trauma of what's happened? And I just said quite frankly back to her, just not thinking about it and that was my initial tactic don't think about it it'll all be good and she said you know when you when you feel like it come and see me because I think we need to have a chat and I remember going to see her a couple of days later and she said that you can bottle things up for so long but she said I promise you that things will start to to break through and cracks will appear and before you know it you've you've you're going to be brought back to the day of the accident because you never dealt with it so 
she said, I don't care which one of these you do, but do one of them for me. Talk about it with someone. So air and voice your emotions of the day. Talk about exactly what happened that day. Write about it. She said, write about it. Put it on your laptop, save it, never look at it again. Write about it, put it online as a blog, you know, for other people to read. She said, as long as you do one of those, you're beginning to sort of process it emotionally. And she said, just make sure that you do one of these for me. And I took her, you know, took her for her word and her experience. And I and I did the latter. So I, I wrote about what happened. And the the blog that I put online probably a couple of months after my accident took a couple of months to write because I'd write maybe one or two sentences. Then I get to that kind of like crux in the story where something was about to happen and I'd have to stop typing because I wasn't ready yet to process it emotionally. And she was right. But bit by bit, day by day, week by week, I kind of got further into that story until a couple of months later, I'd, I'd wrote one, you know, two, two bits of A4 paper that detailed exactly what happened that day. And I'm so glad I did because already at that point, I think cracks were appearing and uh, bottling it up was never going to be a, a long-term solution. I don't think it is for anybody. No, it's def- definitely not. And I think it, well, it's one of those things that does just take time, doesn't it? If you've been through yeah. something traumatic, it does take. it's a process to go through. And, you know, everyone's process might be slightly different, but it is still a process to go through. And typically being being verbal about it in one way or another or writing it down is is a, a huge um, a huge way of kind of dealing with it and facing up to it. Definitely. Sure. So let, let we, we, we've kind of referenced it quite a few times. Let, let's talk about that. The injury. Let's talk about the the, 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 the how it happened. So it's 2016. You're you're climbing and yeah what 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 happened you realize this is this is basically free therapy for me yeah go for it (laughs) (laughs) so you know I I was someone that I think is a bit of context someone that knew in some ways where they wanted to go in life I I still like I said lacked clear direction from a career perspective but you know I, I had a genuine love of the mountains climbing mountaineering whether that was lead climbing sport climbing or you know climbing in the Alps on, on bigger mountains that was a genuine love you know love affair of mine and I was going through the selection process to join the the special forces reserve so I just got through the physical aspect of the SAS reserve selection and I was coming towards the end of what was a, a two-year journey to kind of being a sort of member of that very privileged you know highly highly renowned thought of unit and kind of life was coming to that you know that real like positive crescendo point where I, I genuinely felt like I was going to achieve some of these big goals that I'd, I'd set for that had been dreams for years and then I'm climbing with my best friend Matt we're, we're if you're going to have a life-changing injury you, the place you want to do it is called World's End and that was the name of the cliff face the cliff face was called World's End <laughs> um, about an hour from where I live and it's 120 foot vertical rock face uh, broken up into you know, four kind of clear sections or pitches, as we refer to it. And we really hot, lovely summer's day, climbing for the majority of the day. And we're kind of coming to the end of the, the end of the, you know, we've been kind of crisscrossing this, this rock face for the, for the entire day. And it's one final climb on the very sort of final last pitch at the top, um, about 35 foot section. And I 
lead so with lead climbing for obviously for anybody that's listening that doesn't know you're putting in your kind of you know protective gear as you're going so it might be your metal nuts or your kind of like little climbing devices that you put into the rock and you clip your rope through and you continue climbing and obviously the the point of these devices is that if something happens and you fall they hold and they arrest your fall and you, and you don't fall any further than you perhaps need to um but i get to the top and I, I'm stood at the top of this cliff face and I look down at Matt and I very quickly set up a belay point to bring him up to me. And he tries for maybe, I think, two or three attempts to kind of come up to me. And, and he's struggling, end of the day, fatigue, whatever it might be. So the decision was made that the quickest thing would be for me to very quickly change the belay point into like an anchor point, me to abseil back down to Matt to get my kind of bits of gear out of the rock. And we'd walk off this kind of tiny, six foot wide ledge together and and take a long route back down to the car that's sort of waiting at the bottom and it's as I turn that belay point into an anchor point for me to abseil and I take one final look over my over my left shoulder to say something down to Matt and I, I'm kind of not prepared to I'm not committed to abseiling at this point I, I'm just stood at the edge and it's something that you get comfortable with doing because 99.99% of the time nothing happens there but on that one particular day, something did. And as I look over my left shoulder and say something down, the rock that I'm stood on, which is probably the size of a small table, cracks, drops and tilts, and it kind of cracks, drops and tilts. And before I know it, I can just feel my body being sort of thrown backwards. And, and I think in the first couple of milliseconds, it took me so, to, to such an extent by surprise, that I, I physically froze. I remember my hand freezing in this kind of open, open sort of like, you know, open palm. And all I could hear was the sound of the rope zipping through the belay device and that kind of high pitch whine that it makes if, you, if it's running through too quickly and I'm falling backwards. And because I didn't react instantly to kind of halt it and because I froze, because it, it took me by surprise to just the biggest extent possible. Before I know it, I'm falling through the air with a potential 120 foot below me. And in that three to four seconds of falling, which I guarantee in, in my reality felt about 20, 25 minutes worth of contemplation time, I, I came to the conclusion that I was about to die. And I had enough time, regardless of it was three or four seconds in real time, I promise you, I had enough time to consider every single last element of life that I was about to lose and miss. Friends, family, girlfriend, dog, whatever it was. It just all, it wasn't a life flashing in front of the eyes moment, but it was a life put in perspective moment of this is everything that I really love that I might never see again. And as I'm falling, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going through that kind of emotional process. I shout Matt's name three times just to warn him, but like pure fear, shouting his name in pure fear, really. And I land flat on my back, 35 foot down on this tiny six foot ledge. And I don't know it, but on impact, I break my back and I paralyze myself from the chest down. But because I've got so much momentum, I start to tumble and I'm about to slip off this sledge and fall to my death and it was the fact that I shouted Matt's name three times that alerted him to what had happened and he reacted quick enough to sprint 
from where he was stood to where I fell and he essentially jumped on my my limp body as it was about to go off this next ledge and slip off and and have all of those worst fears confirmed and he saved my life I didn't appreciate it at the time because the first thing I did was push him off <laughs> because <laughs> it happened so quickly it happened so quickly I, I hadn't comprehended the situation and I, and I hadn't appreciated what he'd just done so the first thing I did was almost grumpily push him off and say what are you doing and his response was I just saved your life and it was then that I think as the dust settled and those seconds started to pass I kind of my, my brain caught up with circumstance my brain caught up with what the hell had just happened but as I was lying there in those kind of minutes after impact and in those I think as we we gave it a bit of time before I tried to move any anyway because it was that what the hell just happened can't believe I'm still alive type feeling and I, and I didn't even want to get up I was just lying there kind of almost processing what had just happened but as the dust settled I tried to stand up and I very quickly realized that nothing was moving with the exception of my arms and my kind of upper you know my chest upwards and I, I think I just looked to Matt and said something's really wrong and we put it down to shock. Matt got on the phone to Mountain Rescue. Mountain Rescue are there within the hour. And I'm on that ledge for, I think, between two and three hours. And it's two and three hours of really starting to appreciate that this might be a, a completely defining moment. And this might not be shock. We put it down to shock. But I think as the minutes passed, as the pain increased, as I kind of, you know, I could just feel it. My my brain could tell that something was wrong. My brain, it wasn't that I was in shock. My brain physically didn't know, neurologically didn't know that my my legs and my core stomach area existed anymore. There was a complete disconnect. And yeah, that day marked a completely life-changing moment. Um, but uh, likewise, a moment that I could have not been here at all. So that's uh you know shows that the sort of the the the, the kind of uh, paradox of it that you can be so unfortunate but so fortunate all in the same instance yeah i, I want to ask you something and and feel free if you want to move straight on that's absolutely fine in terms of you mentioned about your friend matt your best buddy um jumping on top of you to sort of rescue you and you didn't really kind of realize at the time what he'd actually done Mm. was there ever a point in your recovery in your rehabilitation where you almost were kind of like damn it why did you do that because I'm in this kind of dark space because I'm I, I obviously I've never been in that position where I've had a life-changing injury I've had some nasty injuries but nothing like what mm. you've got and I, I just want to find out whether whether there was ever a point when you kind of because you're you've obviously you know going through SAS selection you've got to have an edge, you've got to have this kind of ability to keep going, keep going, keep going. Did it ever get to a point where you're kind of like, this is, this is just horrendous? Or did yeah. you, did you kind of, did you keep that? Did you have Matt as part of your recovery, part of your rehab team, keeping you going, yeah. you know, having that nice close knit team around you? Yeah, I was very fortunate to have, you know, that, that kind of support from, from him, from friends, from family. Um, I, there's two ways of answering your question. One, yeah, there were don't get me wrong. There were moments where things really felt like they were 
getting on top of me. So intensive care, I found incredibly hard because, you know, it was just coming to, you're kind of, you're coming around after a nine hour surgery to be told that, you know, you're never going to walk again. Due to the level of damage, there is absolutely zero chance that you'll ever walk again. That's, you know, it was a given. There was, there was no chance. The, the spinal cord had been completely, my, my back had snapped clean into, there's too much damage there. And I think that lack of hope was, was a tough one to deal with. It, in some ways, it, at least it was definitive in terms of you need to accept this and to move on, which I think was a blessing. But at the same time, I wanted to live in hope that there was always a chance just to be told, you know, don't, don't ever think about it. Intensive care was suffocating. I was like constantly running a fever. My body was trying to like recover from the injury, recover from surgery. There were people in cubicles next to me screaming in pain. I couldn't sleep. My body was overheating. There was no natural light. There was no natural air. And all of a sudden, I think it was a combination of or culmination of that times with not being able to do anything for myself, having nurses and doctors come and, you know, help me, well, come and, you know, make me go to the toilet, putting a, a catheter down my you know, private parts and making all that happen and being completely useless. Um, and it got to the end of my stay in intensive care and I was struggling. You know, my my girlfriend um, at the time was keeping a diary for me. She'd bought a diary that I think she'd intended for me to write in. I still got it somewhere at home. And every day she was writing the entry because it was, you know, I was too tired to not not in the place to write. And every now and then I'll go back and read that diary and you know it's hard reading it because it would be you know day four or day five and it would be in her words saying I think you're really struggling today I can see it in your face you know you're trying to put a brave face on and trying to show everyone how tough you can be but I you know I know you well enough and that breaks, it breaks my heart to read that because I know it's true um but I was very lucky that I had the family that I did my mum could see it as well and I think on day five or day six she basically convinces the nurses to get my bed and all of the bits that I'm hooked up to and they wheel me out into the sunlight in the ambulance loading bay so Stoke major trauma unit you know where all these ambulances are coming and going there's this one random bed with this one random guy who you just need I've never ever said this on any of the talks I've ever given or podcasts I've ever given but it's such a huge moment for me because it was 10 minutes of sun on my skin, fresh air. And it was just that moment to breathe for the first time in five, six days to really breathe after my accident. And that moment was a turning point, I think, because I just felt that renewed kind of like uh, resilience kind of come back. You know, I'd lost it. I think I'd really dug. You're right. Going through selection with with the special forces reserve and climbing mountains and climbing cliffs they all require you to have a certain mindset that you can push yourself beyond what you think possible and to keep going even when your body's long since given up and that got me that far I think that got me to day five and six and I need but I but I was desperate for that moment of of reprieve and I was lucky enough to have like you say that team around me that knew me well enough to see beyond the facade of I've, don't worry, I'm completely fine. I knew that I just needed that moment to recharge my batteries and 
like I say, it was a turning point because from that moment on, I, I felt this sense of I can, you know, I know I can handle this now. It's it's up from here. That was a, a low point, or one of the low points. Yeah. I love the fact that we spoke at the beginning about adventure and getting outside and all the positive things that that can bring. And the massive turning point for you, you know, in the five or six days after injury was ten minutes outside. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Not, not quite in the mountains, but <laughs> but, it's but, straight, but you're outside, natural light, sunlight, and it gives you that sense of perspective and that sort of regrounding and reconnection. Grounding, yeah, that's probably which, the best way. Of yeah, it. which I think is so in, so important in in any kind of uh, in any scenario, just to get some time outside. But I, I really like the way that they kind of there's that real nice link between the adventure outdoors and and then post injury getting outdoors and having that turning point. That's that's really cool. The um, I think you know for someone like yourself with your what what turns you on the adventure stuff the you know the the need to kind of push and challenge yourself. You know if we if we look at it in that sense, the recovery obviously it's not given by any stretch, but I think you've got the mindset and the kind of the the sort of mind control to to kind of push yourself in in the right direction to get to where you are now. And we will come to that in a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit more about the sort of the emotional side of rebuilding yourself after that injury mm. um and how you know the, the short and long-term challenges of that mm. side of the rehabilitation because you know i think there's a lot spoken about post-injury rebuilding in terms of getting moving again getting mobile again and all the physical side of things that you have to kind of realign and, and recalibrate but mm. let's talk about the emotional thing what, what were the emotional effects on you as an individual in the kind of weeks months you know after that injury yeah so i think the one thing that really helped was that sense of perspective i think that having experienced that moment of i'm about to lose it all made it that much sweeter to see those people again so i think even on those days where things got really tough and that emotional kind of healing process and the emotional trauma uh, i think every day had almost become like a bit of a gift so it sounds like a cliche, sounds cheesy, but it's so true. You know, thinking that I would never see these people again, I felt so fortunate, even given the circumstance under which I would see them. And I remember my, I, I, she didn't tell me until I think about a year later, but you know, my mum's experience of that day was that she got a phone call from my my girlfriend to say that I'd been involved in an accident and that the hospital wouldn't tell her anymore. Uh, but mum knew I'd been climbing that day. And she said that she drove, you know, that hour from Shrewsbury to Stoke quicker than she'd ever driven a car in her life. And she said that she was just petrified that I'd injured my head and that I'd, I'd no longer be her son in, in that kind of, you know, personality sense. Um, and she said that the moment she came up to me in intensive care and I said, I saw who I saw her and I can't remember this conversation, but I said, I'm, I'm sorry. Apparently I just reached, put my hand out and said, I'm so sorry, mum. And she said that in that moment, she realized that I was still me and she didn't care what physical injury it might be, as long as I was still her son in, in mind. So, you know, I, I think that probably is a, is a way of, encapsulating how I felt a little bit about it I felt so lucky to still be able to see my those that I loved dear you know closest to me so I think even on the days where 
things felt a little bit tough and I was kind of like coming to terms with a lot of these things the sense of perspective was a big kind of emotional resilience booster for me um one thing that I knew relatively quickly was that the real tragedy here would be giving up I was 26 years old I was just kind of coming into you know prime of life type type you know time and I was acutely aware that I didn't want to waste I didn't want to waste my life and I hate to say it but but you know there are a lot of people that come in that are ex-patients that come into a spinal ward and they paint a very dark picture of what life's going to be like um to the extent that I had a guitar so I was I was trying to learn the guitar before my accident and when I got injured um my partner brought it in because she said well if you're going to be here for five months <laughs> I'm like present to learn it <laughs> and this next patient came in who was an old older man overweight um similar injured to me and he pointed to the guitar and said is that yours and I said yeah and he said what level of injury are you and I kind of told him and he took like this really long breath and said mm, I'm I'm really sorry son but I don't think you're going to be able to play the guitar so you kind of get painted this picture and I was like you mad it's the guitar I'm not saying that I'm going to you know be an Olympic 100 meter sprinter anymore I'm, it's it's something very achievable in my mind but you get a lot of these people that are meant to be your role models that just are the opposite they're not good role models so I think for me very early on I was I was seeking a positive role model so I was scouring social media and I and a real gift for me was that the Paralympics were on maybe about a month into my stay and for the first time in my life, I watched the Paralympics, never watched it before. And I feel awful, feel like an awful human being for saying that. But 2016 was the first games that I'd watched. And you just had hour after hour of inspiring stories of people that had been blown up, fallen off mountains, whatever it had been, and had come back and had excelled, you know, in the face of adversity. And they became every single person that I saw became like a, you know, unofficial role model to me. So when things did get a little tough or when I did wonder where life would take me or what kind of limits I might have imposed on my life now, it was looking at those people and think, and realizing actually that it's quite limitless. And if I don't try, then, you know, like I say, go back to what I was saying before, that the real tragedy would have been giving up. And I just, I was very fortunate, I think. I had a kind of the perfect storm of experiences that, you know, the, that building block of resilience that mountaineering and the military kind of stuff had built that I think bought me enough time to start processing the trauma. And then having that sense of perspective bought me enough time to continue to process it, finding those role models bought me enough time to process it that little bit more and then something really big happened that completely threw all of that out of the out of the pram and that was um my long-term relationship the, the girl that I'd been with for nearly four years lived with and was telling anybody and everybody that would listen that I was going to propose to came in one day and just said Darren I'm so sorry but I can't I can't do this anymore and I remember being so taken aback by it I didn't know what she meant and I kind of said what do you mean by this and she said this and she pointed to me and pointed to her and said I just I just can't do it I I, I'm I, I don't 
love you enough to to make it work and she said I'm so sorry and turned around and walked out and I never saw her again and that completely pulled that rug of resilience and emotional positivity and being completely honest completely threatened to throw the whole thing into disarray my whole recovery into disarray my whole way that I perceived my life the way that I perceived my injury and yeah that was actually if I'm being completely honest the real kind of rock bottom that you know that moment in intensive care where I, where I, I was desperate for that breath of fresh air was completely dwarfed by this because I was then in a scenario where I was dealing with heartbreak on top of a life-changing injury and it completely changed my trajectory it completely changed I had nowhere to move back to so we lived in a home together that I wouldn't be moving back to the person that I thought loved me most in the world couldn't love me for who I was I wasn't enough as a person I wasn't enough um, and that was really hard to deal with. And that marks a, a, a real negative turn, real hard week of, well, more than a week, but, you know, a real like, acute period of, of not going to physio, not going to therapy, not going to the gym, not really just barely holding it together so people wouldn't see me cry. And about a week later, I've got the, the single best bit of advice I'd ever had or will have in my life and that was from my physio called Kate and she came up to me and said like Darren and like we all know what's happened because you live in this like bubble it's like big brother everybody knows what everybody's doing everyone knows relationship statuses you can't hide that and when she came in and, and broke up with me or you know whatever you want to call it it was in a very public you know hospital it's in a hospital and uh, she said right so I get how you're feeling right now but you need to appreciate that what you're doing is you're letting your emotions and your feelings dictate your actions and your actions or lack of them in this instance are determining the man you're going to become so you're delaying your discharge from hospital because you're not hitting your targets you're fundamentally changing the man you're going to be in a year's time because of how you emerge from this kind of like latest challenge this latest bit of adversity so she said what I want you to do is flip that on its head I want you to think about the man you want to be in a year's time who's the man you want to be in five years time how did he respond to this how did he respond to his world coming to an end what did he do in this moment what did he do on a daily basis from now on and she said if I, I promise if you do those two things your feelings and your emotions will improve they'll follow and you'll be in a better place for flipping this on its head, thinking, and she called it um, positive action, because I think her whole premise of it was, if she said to me, you just need to be, to be positive right now, I probably would have punched her in the face. The first, time ever, <laughs> first time I'd ever would, you know, hypothetically strike a woman in public, or ever, or ever, I should say, not even just in public, bloody hell. Um, I had enough respect for her to take that, bit of advice and to run with it so I did I, I thought who how you know who is the man I want to be in a year's time how does he emerge from this and where do I want to be in five years time and I got myself back into the gym back into physio back into therapy 
don't get me wrong, I was still completely emotionally heartbroken. And there were those moments where I need to run off to the toilet. And, you know, I felt so embarrassed to be a 26 year old man crying in the toilets, but I was absolutely heartbroken. I really was. And that didn't, that didn't, you know, end overnight, even though I was kind of pursuing this, my own version of my own hero in the future. It didn't mean that the emotional heartbreak went away overnight, but she was right. Day by day, I felt stronger emotionally. I started to recover. I started to discover, you know, that version of the man I wanted to be bit by bit. And <laughs> I did the most important thing that I think I've ever done in my life, which was to ask for a day away from hospital, um, which was granted. And me and Matt, the guy that was there the day of my accident that saved my life, drove an hour up to Manchester. We went to the kayak store in Manchester and I spent lots of money on something I'd never done before. I bought myself a kayak, all the kit to go with it, because it was me making that commitment to myself to not stop living a life of adventure and to not let adversity or disability define the man I was gonna become and to not let heartbreak define the man I was gonna become. So went into this shop, said, show me your sea kayaks, show me all the kit that I need. I still had my hospital tag on my wrist at this point. The guy in the shop <laughs> saw it and asked what the hell was going on. And I went back the next day and they said, what did, you do? what did you do with your day off? And I just got my phone out the back of my chair, loaded up the picture of me and Matt stood next to his car with two kayaks on the roof and showed him this picture, uh, which got uh, not an overly positive response, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think they were kind of thinking I'd have gone down the more route of wheelchair tennis, wheelchair basketball. But just because I'd had this injury and just because I was, you know, paralyzed from the chest down, didn't change the guy that I was, didn't change the man that I wanted to be or the, that I, you know, needed to be, which was someone that lived a life with adventure, with challenge, with the outdoors. I was never going to be happy with wheelchair tennis or wheelchair basketball because you know what, I was shit at tennis, shit at basketball before my injury. I'm only going to be worse now. <laughs> and, it, and even then, you know, I, I never really, those sports didn't do it for me. It wasn't who I was. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I, 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 I want to get into the kayaking. I've got a few questions about that, um, having done a little bit of kayaking myself. Um, but I, like, I really like that, what the physio, the advice your physio gave you on that day. And it's something I've used on myself before as well and to other people, and I've used on some of my clients. Uh, some of my athletes is you know in five years time when you look back what do you want to see mm. and you know sometimes when things are a bit tough it's so easy to dwell and be in that moment or you know woe is me things are hard mm. and fester and let and almost let yourself off whereas actually when you look back is that the type, is that the person you want to be mm. definitely definitely not so I mean that's a really positive way of you know challenging yourself through hard times Mm. you know is, is to think about the future and where where do you want to be and what would you like to look back on yeah for sure for sure nice. yeah. so let's talk kayaking then so kayak for heroes um mm. well yeah I'll, I'll pass that back back to you but before we get into that challenge itself and talk about the challenge the thing one of the things I wanted to ask you is the kind of technicalities of kayaking because I've done a I've done a, a, a bit I've done some whitewater kayaking done some sea kayaking um which I've actually recently bought a kayak to get back into a bit of that myself and one of the things that I know through kayaking is a lot of the way I would kayak and control the boat is through my hips and through my knees and through my trunk and the core rotation and all this kind of stuff but obviously from your injury you probably don't have have that 
any of that. Yeah, and, and I, so for me, I'm like, I want to know how you control a kayak without that. You know so what? Really, it's so bloody hard. So that, that's the reason. The reason that the response in hospital wasn't overly positive was because they didn't know of anybody with, because my spinal injury is, is high. Yeah. You know, I've got no core function. I've got no leg function. I can't move or feel anything below my chest. Yeah. So all of a sudden kayaking becomes about what I can do with my shoulders, my head and my very upper torso. So you know, the first, so I was discharged on 23rd of December, 24th of December, my friends had hired the local swimming pool for two hours, and it was going to be the first time in my life I'd ever kayaked. And we spent two hours just constantly falling in. And my friends, my poor friends, I'm surprised they didn't end up with spinal injuries themselves, because they were just digging me out of the water. They'd be like, do you want to get changed? And I'd be like, no, put me back in. (laughs) Um, It might be one second capsize, two seconds capsize, three seconds capsize. But I was so determined to make this work and I just had to learn to do it. But, but the thing was, because I'd never kayaked before, I had no kind of direct comparison. So I, I knew that it was... I suppose it's like a clean slate. Yeah, I knew that it was bloody hard work and that it was a very fine art and there was a very fine line between being upright and being, you know, down under kind of thing. But from that, you know, that first day in a swimming pool, we then ventured onto the canal near to where I live. And then from the canal, we ventured to a lake. And from a lake, we ventured to the river. And it was this progressive kind of, it wasn't an overnight, you know, transformation of, oh, I can now kayak. It was bit by bit by bit, lots of nerves, lots of kind of, you know, nervous energy, just of like, you know, trying not to capsize every split second. But it was such a small progressive, you know, practice made progress. It never, ever, ever has or will ever make perfect but I was bit by bit I think improving what I thought was possible and I was kind of you know really challenging really challenging my injury because I've I've probably got about an inch worth of core that works and it's now become like this solid kind of iron inch of core muscle but you know bit by bit and then I went for selection for Britain's Paralympic kayaking team and then became part of their like talent development pathway to go to Tokyo, to go to the Tokyo Paralympics. And kayaking had been one of those sports I'd watched on my little hospital TV. And I thought, you know what, what a turnaround if four years later, I could be there. That would just be destiny. And I, and I kind of thought it was almost destined. I had this sense of it's meant to happen. So life, I think one of those things in terms of emotional um growth and healing was finding new purpose and finding new meaning and for me life became about about being an athlete I was you know driving over to the National Water Sports Centre in Nottingham three days a week I was training six days a week and it was all following this goal and and, and chasing this goal and never in my life had I been called an athlete before but all of a sudden this sense of purpose and this new sense of meaning was was the reason I was getting out of bed in the morning was the reason that I was putting some of the day-to-day challenges of my disability in the background because they you know they were dwarfed by this challenge that I had which was to achieve something I never thought possible before so yes the injury has its challenges on a daily basis things take a little bit longer you know things might go wrong a bit more than they ever did before but it was all put into perspective by this thing this singularity this big goal and chased it for for three three and a half years 
and then it got to to go to the Paralympics you had to be number one in the country in your category and I was kind of sitting at about number two and everything was you know my times are getting quicker and bit by bit hunting that time that I needed to get and then I got an injury I, I threw my shoulder out a bit of a throwback to the way I landed on the day of my accident and I kind of watched that three years worth of hard work and that dream real really slipped through my fingers and it was only in that kind of moment of failure and in those weeks after and as as kind of you know I watched the what you know um that kind of selection race take place without me and, and all of that that I really sat back and thought you know what how do I respond to this and it was that positive action once again it was reframing it and kind of thinking well who do I want to be in a year's time you know when the when the Paralympics are actually on tv what do I want to be doing who's the guy I want to be in a year's time so I called up four of my friends that I'd met they're ex-military have each had life-changing injuries and I just had a guy I was like lads I've got an idea it might be stupid but this could be epic if we make it happen <laughs> sounds and, like the start of a really really and, cool plan yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. always the way so each of them were kind of like yeah go on give it to me and I was like well it's never been done before but Land's End John O'Groats by kayak across the sea in all its glory and I said I reckon it's about 1400 kilometers and I said I reckon it's 1400 because I'd very quickly like plotted a route on plotarroute.com that you know back of a fag packet type stuff I said it'll take us 35 days I don't know where on earth I picked that number from but um because I never I'd never kayaked on the sea yeah you know I'd done a lot of kayaking don't get me wrong but never on the sea and the lads I was calling had never really paddled on the sea either but I I knew that to each man they that was someone who would refuse to be limited by just the the kind of like their own challenges let alone a big kind of challenge and if anything they would rise to it so I just pitched them the idea each of them without much hesitation went sounds good let's make it happen and I said that in a year's time when the Paralympics are on you know I want to have overcome this kind of setback this failure this adversity and to be doing something that would be an even bigger challenge an even bigger achievement because trust me you know it was huge and we 12 months later 12 months of you know learning about tidal patterns tidal races um and all of that world I knew nothing about before planning this full-on expedition leading this team a year later we're sat you know below the signpost at Land's End knowing that the next day we're about to set off on the biggest adventure and the biggest challenge that each of us would face in our in our lives and uh yeah i give you kayak for heroes that's how that was uh born. wow what an adventure what an adventure i just find it absolutely mind-blowing to go from you know the 20 the injury 2016 to to you know i, I think with all these challenges sometimes the challenge is kind of the uh the result of the journey to get there if that makes yeah. sense yeah like sure. and like the challenge is 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 a is, is the is, is an amazing thing but the journey that you take to get to that point where you're even able to consider something like that is the point of real kind of like growth and strength and, yeah. and inspiration and i think you know what you've covered so far today is is, is, a, is a huge insight into how we can all keep moving and keep growing 
mm. you know, because we all have curveballs thrown at us from side to time, and it's about how we deal with them and how we process them and how we approach them. And I really like your phrase of post-traumatic growth that you mm. referenced earlier, and I think that's something again that we can all kind of take and, and learn from. Um, um, and then I suppose also also in 2021, I guess wasn't the easiest year for you either. Um, I know I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that, okay. and I'll, you know I'll, I'll pass it again over to you. But something that does come up on this podcast, you know, from time to time is is, is suicide, and mm-hmm. how you know it is prevalent, unfortunately, and it, it does happen. And I want to just hear hear your story and and how everything that you've been through kind of helped you almost deal with that as well. So I'll yeah, pass, it, sure. pass it back to you. Yeah. So. Yeah, 2021 was a year of highs and, you know, a year of ultimate achievement, um, finishing that expedition. And you know what? Being five years on from that question from Kate as to who's the man you want to be and five years later, almost achieving it and and kind of having that real sense of, um, I, I don't know, that real sense of having overcome adversity, coming off the back of the expedition, having watched my my dad struggle with mental health for a couple of years but covid really having a huge impact on on it in a negative sense and there's a huge irony to the fact that i talk to people about you know resilience and my kind of like lessons on it and stuff from what i've learned and the one person in the world i really wanted to impact and to change was my own dad and sadly i think he was so far down that rabbit hole and so far down his battle with mental health that I don't think logic or common sense or me saying to him dad come on let's think about perspective or let's think about you know reframing your life in terms of where you want to be in a year's time just wasn't getting through it was hitting a wall and he'd give it lip service but was so in battle within his own mind um anyway uh yeah so in September I I sort of picked up he was looking after my dog for the day picked up my dog uh, and just said you know I just I I don't know what made me say it because we don't normally say it to each other but he you know came out put the dog in the car and went to walk straight back into his house and I wound down my window and I said shout out the I didn't shout but I kind of said out to him I was like dad and he turned and I was like I love you and I and I made a point of saying it to him and I don't normally me and my dad were never like I love you type people. We knew we loved each other. And that's the last time I ever saw him. And um, a couple of days later, I get a phone call from my sister and she's in tears. And she kind of said, um, I need to tell you something. And I'm something in my heart already knew. And I kind of think I just responded and said, is it dad? And she said, yes, you know, in, in tears down the phone to me. And um, yeah. He, he'd taken his own life he just he couldn't see a way out of where he was you know he couldn't he couldn't see a, a way out of his depression and his battle with mental health and he took that kind of very unfortunate decision and it completely broke my family you know it's heartbreaking it still is um but you know when we talk about <clears throat> positive action and all of that kind of stuff and focusing on what you could control there was nothing I could do that would bring my dad back and there was nothing that there's so many things I couldn't control in this scenario but one thing that I was determined from the outset to do was to make sure that 
I did something to help other people like my dad and to stop other families from going through what they're going through. So I kind of, there's a similar theme here, isn't there? I called up a couple of friends and I said, I really, you know, this has happened. I really want to do something that raises money for suicide prevention charities, mental health charities. And they were all up for doing something. And I said, how about rowing the channel? It was a throwaway kind of, you know, it kind of channeled, it channeled, but for me this whole process this physical so on monday monday the whatever the 9th of may whatever it might be for the 10th of may you know we're going to be out in the busiest shipping lane in the world for five hours rowing but for me that's going to be five hours of kind of emotional processing time and physically helping you know my something physical helping me process it emotionally at the same time raising money to help people like my dad to stop them from ever getting to where he got to um and the rowing kind of relevance came about because he used to work at so, so I row every week and he would work down at the at the independent school uh, that had a, a boat club on the river and I'd be rowing and he would uh, be out on the balcony and he'd sort of shout hello across the water to me in, in the London accent that he had and I think it was the first Tuesday after everything happened that I went back to rowing that I rowed past that that kind of school building and didn't hear anything and I think it was that moment where I, I thought that something with a rowing element would be a fitting tribute to my dad so come Monday you know we'll be doing it in in memory of my dad and in memory of the 18 people a day in the UK that take their own lives which is a, just a fucking crazy statistic you know apologies for language but it is so it's yeah it is isn't it it's, it's ridiculous yeah and yeah, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but it is one of those statistics that every time you hear it, it's not the first time I've heard it, and I'm sure it's not the first yeah. time people listening on this podcast hear it. But every time you hear it, that statistic, let alone your story of what you've just been very open and honest about, you just think, fucking hell, really? Mm. Really? Yeah. Like, it's just insane. And again, you know, the more people like yourself and Peter, on the last podcast I recorded that are championing you know the positivity of you know talking doing getting out there promoting a positive message about mental health but I hate to say it but particularly men's mental health yeah for sure um is something that you know we just can't get enough of so I genuinely thank you for for sharing that and also where can people donate where can people follow um Uh, go for it I think that's a very good question. So we've got a Just Giving page. The link is in my Instagram bio at the moment. Um, and I'll, I'll make sure I, I post something up on, the, on there as well. But uh, yeah, so hopefully, you know, uh, we raise a bit of money and, and that will go to a couple of charities, one of which um, is a really great charity called Ripple. Um, so one of the common sort of features of people when they go down this route is that they quite simply Google how to or what's the best way or what's the most painless way of you know doing what we're talking about and the world of google will just tell you you know it's the internet isn't it there's been articles wrote about you know the top 10 ways to do it which is bloody ridiculous but ripple is an app that um is kind of like ensuring that whenever anybody googles anything like that the first thing they see is a is a message of support and of reassurance and of you know stop take a moment have a breath if you want to text someone, call someone, instant message someone, here's a link to various people that, you know. So instead of just giving you the bloody answer to how do I end it all right now, you know, logic 
<laughs> prevailed, which is, no, hold on a minute, just take that moment of, of kind of like pause and reflection and do you, you know, um, because th that's the thing, isn't it? Once you're in that battle of mental health, you lose perspective. You know, for my dad, he, he uh, I don't know, I think he did know how much he was loved, but at the same time, I don't think his mental health allowed him to really appreciate that or to appreciate the fact that, you know, um, me and, yeah, he, he would miss my, my marriage next year and kids and whatever else it might be. Um, so hopefully we can do something about that. So if people want to donate, that'd be, you know, amazing. Great. And then later on this year, you've also got another challenge, which is, as far as I know, it's a world first. Yeah, it's stupid, but it's so that, <laughs> it's come about. It's come about because Luke, who was part of the Kite for Heroes team, XREF, stood on a, an ID in, in Afghanistan, um, has done what is called the World Marathon Challenge, which is seven marathons, seven days, seven continents, um, which I think 180 people have done in its entirety in its, in its history. And he um, has run it twice. So sucker for punishment, he's run it twice. And he knows the race organiser very well by this point. And the race organiser was curious as to whether it could be done by somebody with, you know, who uses a wheelchair with a physical disability, spinal injury, whatever it might be. And Luke just said, I think I might know someone. <laughs> so I had this phone call with the guy and he said, um, so you're interested? And I was like, yeah, yeah, 100%. And he said, well, how long does it take you to do a marathon in a wheelchair? And my response was very honest. And it was, I have no idea. I've never done one. And he kind of said, so does that mean you're not interested? And I was like, no, 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 I'm interested. It's just, a, you know, my answer's pending because I'll have to do one and then I'll tell you. I'm going to do it. Um, so, yeah, October 25th will be marathon number one in Antarctica. So that's going to be a... Uh, kind of like a moment to prove that a wheelchair and snow can actually get on for at least 26 miles and then you fly day by day continent to continent africa australia dubai europe south america and you finish day seven in north america and it will be a, a world first in lots of different ways um and just another opportunity to i think i don't i would never ever ever call myself a role model but just to show that you know the next young lad who's in a spinal ward that is trying to find someone to be a positive influence from it's not going to be that guy who comes in who points at the guitar and says i don't think you can do that instead it's someone who has shown that yes things might take a bit longer or look a bit different but you know bloody hell you can still do it if you put your mind to it yeah that's amazing so I think we should get you back on and sort of end of, yeah. end, of end of October. I really want yeah, to hear, yeah. hear how that goes. Like in in yeah, it's a it's a crazy cool challenge. Yeah, it is. yeah. My, my shoulders aren't looking forward to it. My shoulders are going to be. I bet. <laughs> They'll be absolutely crying by that point. Yeah, I might get an electric wheelchair for the first few weeks in the bed. <laughs> oh, Darren, well, mate, thank you so much for coming on and and okay. sharing sharing your story. Like I said at the beginning. You know, I, I knew a little bit about your story just from, from research, but actually sitting down and talking to you and, you know, hearing, you know, the nitty gritty about what you've been through and your positivity towards it all and the way in which you're so clearly able to reflect on it and how it's changed you in a in a really positive way is, is so great to hear. And I genuinely appreciate you coming onto the pod. Um, yeah, it's been, been a great time. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
Oh, you're welcome. And what I'll do is I'll put your contact details, your Instagram, etc., in in the show notes for anybody that wants to follow follow Darren and, and donate to his next challenges. And yeah, equally, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Evolve Pod. I really value your support. And if, as ever, if you can give it a like, give it a share to someone in your in your network, I'd really appreciate it. So, Darren, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Have a great great one. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you soon. Come down to Oxford and we'll we'll get a swim in. We'll do. Nice one. Cheers, buddy. Take care, everyone.